Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God allowed ravens to distract and harass Abraham, but left it up to Abraham to drive them away. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We want to thank you for your listenership to the Friendship with God radio program. We want to ask for your support to continue this Bible teaching radio program on this station in your city. And we need your donation and your support. Now, you have a matching donation that comes in from Israel Restoration Ministries every time you donate and support the Friendship with God radio program. We've reached well over 5 million lost Jewish people the past three years just by going door-to-door and sharing the gospel with them. And we need your support for this radio program and to reach them. So go to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online. That's friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Here's Tom Cantor with our teaching from Genesis today. This summer was our best Israel restoration uh, blitz, summer blitz, in 17 cities. We knocked on over 800,000 doors and bringing God's word to the gospel to the Jewish people. And so what was the satanic harassment and distractions that came down like fouls on us for this summer? Well, there were several. But first, somehow, from what we can tell during the summer, Cheryl must have gotten on some kind of government terrorist list. Can you believe that? Cheryl's a terrorist. I could have told him that. (laughs) The government now has denied her entry into the Sentry program, and the agent comes to me, and because I'm married to her, they revoked me. Take my card away in the Sentry. All right, first thing, fouls best shot. Second, the government has now decided to delay giving us the 501c3 status for Israel Restoration Ministries. Third, the government this summer has decided to audit us personally for every charitable giving. And fourth, the government has come up with the idea that maybe we're doing double deductions from both personal and the business, so they now are auditing the business for all the charitable giving. And in order to make it complete, they say they want us to give them our complete general ledger. Well, our complete general ledger for a year has tens of thousands of transactions back and forth. That spells an endless fishing trip for the government asking for explanations for this transaction and that transaction and bring us reports and et cetera, et cetera. And then we get in the mail, the government now requiring us, he says, by law, we have to tell them how much money we have in the bank, what my responsibilities are at work, how long it takes me to drive to work, and how much money I spend on gas and electricity, among other things. So what should I do? The same thing Abraham did. Abraham drove them away, sort of. Now, in other words, just deal with the problems as Abraham did, one by one. Give the government what's reasonable, and for the rest, turn it over to the lawyers. So what should I not do? What I should not do is say, that really irritates me. I'm going to go on a campaign to find out why Cheryl's on a terrorist list. So just leave her on the terrorist list. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to exhaust every Freedom of Information Act avenue. Then I'm going to Washington, D.C. I'm going to set up meetings with government offices, and I'm going to go on the Hill and find out why are all these harassments coming, and we're going to make them stop, and then we're going to seek to change the government so it doesn't happen to others. That would be like Abraham leaving the covenant ceremony and to find out where all the ravens are coming from. Because to get so distracted and to get with these harassments that to leave the work of God, that's not the pattern that Abraham's following here. Abraham's example is just drive them away, the immediate problem, one by one, but stay on the work of God. 
And we note that God allowed those ravens to come because God's powerful. He couldn't have made it so the ravens didn't come. And God didn't drive them away because it's a test. It's a test for Abraham to see, is he going to stay focused on God or is Abraham going to turn his focus on the ravens like our dog? We had a dog named Pepper in the mid-70s. And we used to live on Madison Avenue and we had this nice Australian shepherd dog and he was black and white, so we named him Pepper. Very clever. And I used to take Pepper with me when I'd drive out to the different ranches to work the goats for harvesting the antibodies. And Pepper would sit, you know, on the front seat next to me. It was a good dog. And then when he'd be home, he would sit on the porch, and then he'd watch the cars go back and forth on Madison Avenue. See, his head would go like this. (laughs) It was cars coming both ways. And then there's something in Pepper he could not resist the temptation to chase the cars and to bite the tires of the cars as they went by. And he'd watch those cars, head would go back and forth, and it just became, you could just see it in him, it just became too much. And then he would bark and take off, and he'd come back all tired and everything. And I used to talk to Pepper, and I used to tell Pepper, don't do that. And I explained to him, you know, that he was to resist those distractions and stay on the porch. And Pepper would obey until I left, and then he would bark and run after cars again. And I told Pepper his job was only to stay on the porch. But it was very frustrating because he couldn't resist the distractions. You know, one day we walked to the bus stop on Park Boulevard, a couple blocks away, and Pepper watched us walk until we were out of sight, and then he followed us where we couldn't see him. And then we got on the bus, and then he ran after the bus, and on the next stop, he jumps on the bus. And the driver yells, does anyone know this dog? Oh, poor Pepper, he just couldn't do what he was supposed to do because he got distracted so easily, see? But he's like us. He's like us. We cannot resist the distractions. And we need to be like Abraham and see the example that Abraham is here for us. Just drives the ravens away. Continue to do what you're supposed to do. Now, we read in verse 12 that Abraham fell into a deep sleep, it says. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Been a rough day for Abraham, slaughtering, butchering, the sacrifices, laying them all out on the side, making the path, and then all the drama of the ravens coming down and chasing them away. So you can imagine, Abraham, he's physically beat, he's emotionally exhausted, and so what does he do? He falls into a deep sleep, okay? But he has a nightmare, and the nightmare is described as a horror of great darkness, And the horror of great darkness is a terror of great darkness. And so, what does he see? He sees this country, and he sees his seed that's in this country. The name Egypt is concealed from Abraham. He doesn't know it's Egypt. It's concealed, but he sees the country, and he sees his seed being terrorized in this country. And the terrorists, or the Egyptians, but they're concealed for him knowing that. The terrorists are the Egyptians, but he doesn't know that. And what's revealed to Abraham is about what will happen to his seed. And he sees first that they're not going to be in a polite slavery. They're going to be in a slavery that can be described as oppression and torment. And the slavery that he sees is not short. It's going to last 400 years, roughly twice the age of our country, the U.S. And then he sees that the oppressing people are going to be judged by God. And then he sees afterward that his seed is going to come out of Egypt with great substance. So God shows all of this by revelation to Abraham in a sleep, when he's in a deep sleep. And this is, he's revealing what he is describing as a horror of great darkness. 
And then, when Abraham is really afraid, Abraham now is comforted by God in verse 15, where God says to him, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. So here we see God giving Abraham assurance. And the assurance is that Abraham was going to go to his fathers in peace. This is talking about what's going to happen to Abraham, obviously, after he dies. Now, God told Abraham that after he died, he was going to his fathers in peace. If God wanted to tell Abraham that when he died, that he would cease to exist, God never would have said to Abraham the words of verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. If God wanted to tell Abraham that when Abraham was dead, Abraham was going to be dead, and Abraham would be annihilated in the grave and destroyed like his body was going to be destroyed and deteriorating in the grave, then God never would have said to Abraham the words of verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. But God told Abraham that there was life after death with these words, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. But as for Abraham's lifespan on earth, God said, when you get buried and people look at your body, they're going to say, now there's a man who lived to a good old age. And when it came time to bury Abraham's dead body, they look and they say, that's a man who was really old. But that was not speaking of his soul. That was only speaking of his body. Like the poem goes, life is real, life is earnest, the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. So with those words, thou shalt go unto thy fathers in peace, God's comforting Abraham. He's comforting Abraham because he'd just seen this terrible horror of great darkness. Those are the same type of words, the same pattern that we see the Lord Jesus Christ who used to comfort his disciples after he told them about the horror of great darkness, that he was going to be crucified, that Peter was going to deny him three times. That's a horror of great darkness. And just as he did with Abraham, he turns then in John 14, 1. All that happened in John 13. In John 14, 1, he says, But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Comfort, comfort for Abraham. You're going to go to your fathers in peace. Comfort for the disciples. You're going to be with me forever. And then God explains in verse 16 that there's a re- one reason for the delay of the 400 years. It says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The fourth generation will come forth hither, but the iniquity. Okay, so we know that one of the purposes of keeping of Egypt, for the Jewish people to be in Egypt for such a long time, and by allowing the Egyptians to turn against the Jewish people, God had in mind to take Israel out of Egypt, but he also had in mind to take Egypt out of Israel. And so another, that's another purpose that he had there. What we see here is that another purpose God had was that he was waiting for the cup of iniquity to fill up for the Amorites. And because there's a question that's on the table, and that's, would the Amorites continue to rebel against God, which they did, and go ahead, filling up the cup of their iniquity, or would they repent, as the Ninevites did? Now, what we see from this statement is that every nation and every person is viewed by God as a cup. And each nation and each person has a choice. Cry out to God. Stop the filling. 
of the iniquity of the cup, or who cares about God? We're going to do what we want to do and just go on filling up the cup. And from verse 16, we can see that God is watching the level in the cup, and when it's full, he brings judgment. Now we see in verses 17 that God returns to the covenant ceremony, and there's two symbols for God here in the covenant ceremony. First, he's symbolized as the smoking furnace that represents judgment, just as he had spoken about the Amorites. And then God is symbolized by the burning lamp, the light that leads to salvation. He's both the judge and the savior. And so here we see God alone walking through the path in the covenant ceremony between the pieces. That's different from a normal covenant ceremony because in a normal covenant ceremony, both parties walk through the pieces of the animals to say to themselves in each other, anybody who breaks this covenant is going to become like these animals. But here, there's only God and not Abraham who's walking through these pieces because this is a one-way agreement. This is a one-sided covenant. This is an unconditional covenant where God alone was promising to give to Abraham's seed the Jewish people, the land, and that Abraham had nothing to do whether or not that was going to be filled. Therefore, it's God alone who's passing through these pieces. And as God passes through these pieces, God is saying that he should become cut up and slaughtered like these animals if he doesn't give the land from the river Nile to the Euphrates. So, so much for going back to the 1967 borders. And the chapter then ends with a list of the peoples at that time who were living in that land so God could make it clear as to what land he was referring to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being the faithful God who, Lord, will keep your promise and you put yourself on the line when you walk through the peace of the dead animals, Lord, and, and you said in other places that if you don't do what you promised, that your tongue would cleave to your mouth, your right hand would forget its cunning if you don't remember Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, for being the great, trustworthy God. And Lord, when you could swear by no other, you swear by yourself. And we rest on that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you mentioned the covenant between Abraham and God. Can you explain to some of our listeners how the light of God came to you and how you made a covenant with God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? For Jewish persons such as yourself, the light is not always easily turned on for them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So how did that happen for you? Well, you know, there's, a, there's, an, uh, there's an old joke and it says, there's a light inside every Jewish grave. It's an Israelite. But uh, that's not actually true. And the reality is, is that I was very much in darkness. I was in the darkness of having a religion, but not having a relationship with God. I was in the darkness of, 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 of having committed sins and suffering from the effects of those sins, which in my case left me with a deep sense that I was dirty, that I was defiled, that I was unclean inside and having absolutely no clue how to get clean. I thought I maybe I have to adopt some kind of religious custom. I didn't know what to do. It was so frustrating. It went on for years and it just haunted me and haunted me. The sins that I had committed and the memories of them with women in in uh, in Europe had just 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 brought me down to the mat. And I remember as a as a young high school kid, and I was in uh, going to school in Switzerland at the time, and spending two hours in the shower just trying to scrub those sins out off of me, and I couldn't get to the inside. As a, I could, it, you could, I could clean myself skin deep, but that was about it. I just couldn't get clean. 
And so I, I thought to myself, where is the place of cleansing? How can I get clean? How can I be rid of these of, of this feeling of guilt and shame? And so I, I, I gave myself to studies. And I got deeply uh, involved in science and, 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 and education. And, they, and, and yet, as I did, the thoughts of what I'd done in the past resurfaced. And every time they did, I felt horrible inside. And the old shame, the old guilt, the old feeling of dirtiness just plagued me and haunted me. And then I, I, I decided, well... Maybe if I get a good girlfriend, a good clean girlfriend from the 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 from Ohio, you know, in the middle of the wheat fields there of Ohio, not in those dirty, smoggy places of Los Angeles, and, and maybe that'll help. And so I was at uh, Miami University, and they had a undergraduate library there. And and one night I decided to go there and look for a girlfriend. And they had in the basement listening booths, and where you could tell the attendant that you wanted to listen to this record album or that record album, and he would make the music go into that room. And there was one chair in the room. And so, but all these rooms had these doors on them, and the doors had windows on them. And so I would walk down that aisle there with those windows and look in the windows and I saw a beautiful girl in there. Blonde hair, blue eyes. She's my wife today, 42 years. But I knock on that door and and uh, that began the beginning of a relationship that, that uh, we got married. Uh, but all through the relationship and even in the early days of our marriage, those memories, those secret sins of the past kept floating to the surface of my mind. And as they did, they brought up the filth and the scum of shame and defilement. And I was so discouraged, so cast down, talked to no one at all about it. And that was the driving force within me that caused me to where can, to search, where can I find help? And I decided maybe God. I don't know him. I've never learned about him. He and I are far from being on talking terms, but maybe God. And so I, 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 I'd, I'd heard people talk. You find God in the Bible. So I got a Bible. And I started to plow through that book, and I tried to do what I needed to do. And I thought, well, I got to pray. I see everybody praying. I got to pray. So I just opened up the Bible and I closed my eyes and I said, oh God, if there is a God, help me. And then I started and I started reading and reading. And when I got to Matthew chapter 15, where I read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he said, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts. These defile the man. And he mentioned adultery and fornication. When I read those words, I closed the book and I said, he knows me. He knows me. And then I read more and more and more voraciously because I was looking for the answers. And I saw that John the Baptist in John 1, when he saw him, said, behold, the Lamb of God, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he called him the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not out to save the world. And I don't know about the world, but if he can take the sin of Tom Cantor away, I'll get right in line. 
and I read how he was the Lamb of God, and I went and read about the Passover, and I thought to myself, what does that mean when I see the blood? I'll pass over you, or I'll spare you from the judgment. And so I continue to press on and thinking about him as the Lamb of God, thinking about him as the Passover Lamb of God and, and wondering what it all meant and, and then finally telling my wife that I thought I was becoming religious and that I could no way I could go back to go to a church because I had always been taught that church, you walk in a church as a Jew and they'll all turn to you and they'll point their finger at you and say, there he is, he killed our God, let's get him. So the church was out of the question. So I thought, well, I got to go back to the temple. And I went to the reform temple, the most liberal. And I talked to the rabbi on the phone, actually. And I said to him, Rabbi, I've been reading what Moses wrote in the book of Exodus about the Passover. And he said, Moses, I don't believe there was a person actually named Moses. I knew immediately this was not the person who's going to help me. So I said, I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong number. And I hung up. And then I went to the other, the Orthodox and I listened to the rabbi's sermon, and afterward I secretly got, got with the rabbi. I said, Rabbi, I've just been wondering if maybe Jesus might have been the Messiah. And his response was nothing that surprised me. He said, that's the first time, that's the last time you'll ever say that name in this place again. And I wondered, what am I going to do? And so I went to the Sunday paper, and I saw that they were going to show a movie on Israel at a Baptist church, and I thought, how Semitic, anti-Semitic could that be? It's the Jewish homeland. So I came into the church, sat at the back of the room, very close to the door, so I could make a quick getaway. And as soon as the movie was over, and before I could get out, an old lady put her hand on my shoulder and said, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I thought, oh no, here it comes, the you killed our God routine. But no, she said, no, 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 relax. Our, our pastor's grandmother was Jewish. So I found myself meeting with the pastor. The pastor asked me the question, have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And I told him, I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but he explained it to me. And so I said, how does one do that? And he said, you have to pray a prayer. This is totally your decision. And that prayer, you will tell God that you are a sinner. And I told him that that was no problem and that you hated your sin, and that you believed the record, the Bible record that said God became a man, he died for your sins, he paid for all your sins, he rose from the dead. And then he said the last part is that you swing open the door of your heart and you say, I want him to be my God, my Savior, my Lamb. You take him as your Lamb and your God. And I did that, and that was my decision. And immediately, all those thoughts of guilt and shame and defilement left. They have never come back. It's been 42 years. Memories, yes. Guilt and shame, no. And that came as the decision that I made on that time. And I look at that verse that we have been studying about today, where it said, And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And I thought to myself, September 1970, that was the time I called on my own will, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save me, a lost sinner, from my sins. And he did. And just as God honored the decisions that Adam made for every living creature, for the names, 
so God honored my decision to call on him to be saved, and so God will honor your decision to call on him to be saved. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? We'll also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll receive both of these from Tom Cantor for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. You'll also receive a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries towards Jewish Evangelism Outreach. We've reached in the past three years over 5 million lost Jewish people with the gospel. To order your copies of How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the testimony of Tom Cantor, call us today with your $10 or more donation, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, you can go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online to support Israel Restoration Ministries at friendshipwithgod.org. And you can also sign up at friendshipwithgod.org for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. You can also sign up for a free gift to send to a lost Jewish person at friendshipwithgod.org. So go there online to donate, also to sign up for the daily devotional, and to send a free gift to a lost Jewish person, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor and his daily devotional verse on Facebook. So search for Tom Cantor, Israel Restoration Ministries, or Friendship with God on Facebook. So again, Tom Cantor, Israel Restoration Ministries, and Friendship with God. Search for us on Facebook. Or again, call us at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 for our resource of the month. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.